0: Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. Good morning, guys. My name is Anna. I am a leader here, and it is good to be with you this morning. Like Steph said, we are a new church. We are coming up on our one-year anniversary in April, um, which is really exciting. And yeah, secret is unleashed. There's gonna be karaoke at brunch. You're not gonna wanna miss it. Um, There's gonna be an entire month of events, actually. The entire month of April, there's gonna be something new on a Sunday. You're not even gonna be there for like, you don't wanna just be there for Easter or or one year. You're gonna wanna be there for the whole month and bring your neighborhood, get a bus, 15 passenger van, bring them all, we want them. It's gonna be epic. Um, Yeah, we are a community of faith that believes no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, there is room at the table. And this isn't something that just sounds really sexy or it's a cool slogan. We believe it. Hold on. There we go. Okay. <laughs> that was more difficult. I thought it was going to be smooth and seamless. Um, yeah, we truly believe. We believe what we say and that. And because we're new um, and still getting to know people and there's new faces here every day, something that we like to do here at Hope Brooklyn is um, in a moment I'm going to have everybody that's here for the first time stand up and introduce themselves. And I'm totally just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> But now that your stomach's in your throat, (laughs) let's get into scripture. I'm just kidding. That was such a sick joke, I'm sorry, please come back. They're never going to let me teach again. Um, no, we don't make you do that. Please stay. Um, but a part of our worship service is brunch. We do it every Sunday after um, after service. It's a part of our worship service. It is a very normal way in which you'd like to get to know you, uh, to get to know your story and share a meal with each other. So if this is your first time and you don't have to run after service, we'd love to feed you amazing pancakes afterwards um, and get to know you. So... We are going through a series called Subversive Church. Um, We are, I think, four or five weeks into it, um, and we are looking at Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church. So we're in 1 Corinthians. And it's important for us going forward today that we kind of understand the context of what's going on. Um, So the Corinthian church is a relatively new group of believers who are very much um, influenced by the city that they're around. Um, Corinth is a place that is very ambitious, very success-driven. Um, very uh, obsessed with upward mobility and riding on the coattails of those that are um, the sexiest leaders or they think that'll take them the farthest, right? Uh, They're obsessed with the art of rhetoric, right? So arguing not even truth, just the like smoothest speakers, right? So... I was in speech and debate in high school, okay? Total nerd, I know, I loved it. And I did the speech portion, portion which was more acting, but for one year they forced us to do debate, which like I had the worst stomach aches. I hate debating and there was this one debate where you would go and you would literally like pick a topic and then you'd have to go back and forth and kids would study, spend their summers studying, all of these topics, the myriad, and I'd be like, what do we got today? I don't know, okay, you know, and so we're like, Doing one, I remember, and it was like universal healthcare, and I had to do why we don't want it, and the other girl had to do why we do. And so she gives all of her points, and I'm like, Yeah, no one wants that. <laughs> She's like, Why wouldn't people want universal healthcare? I'm like, You know, some people are like risk takers, you know, or like, I want to break and pay out of pocket, Ooh, like adrenaline, you know? And um, I didn't win many tournaments. Um, I won zero. It was the worst year of my life. I hated debate. But there is an art to defending BS and making it sound really good. I obviously didn't have that skill. Uh, but that is kind of what's happening is that these leaders aren't necessarily speaking truth. They're just eloquent and charismatic and magnetic. And so people are following them based on on that. Um, and that's, that's kind of the climate of, of Corinth. So Paul is writing this letter to say, church, listen, I'm here to shake up the wisdom of which you think um, you are moving about. And this isn't actually the wisdom uh, in which God calls us to live into. And, and in fact, it's a wisdom that's going to com- like seem completely upside down um, compared to the climate in which you live, which is Corinth. So... Today we're in 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 23. So I'm gonna read the text and then we're actually gonna kind of go through it um, in order. So if you have your Bibles, you can open 1 Corinthians 3. It'll be up behind me. Or if you just wanna listen, I recommend just shutting your eyes and just fully taking it in, okay? So we're gonna start in 3, 5. It says, What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only by one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourself are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroy God, destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool. So that he may become wise, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness, and again the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then no more boasting about men, all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the word or, the, or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God." Let's pray before we dig in. Oh, Lord God, let it be your words this morning. Let us open this text and see what you have to say to your church, your people. We are here gathered to um, listen, observe, and to understand more of who you are and in turn understand more of who we are and the role that we get to play with you um, as, as laborers together. I pray that I, and I can totally get out of the way of what you want to communicate today um, and that it would be your words that we hear. So be with us, open eyes and hearts and ears, and let us be receptive uh, for what you're about to say. In your name, amen. Okay, so the first part, who is Apollos? Who is Cephas, right? If you were here last week, Russell dived into this much deeper in that um, he's warning people about kind of following different leaders, okay? But if you weren't here, I want to paint a a really fast picture of kind of what's happening. So um, I live in Carroll Gardens, which is right down the road, and fun fact, I live across the church from where Al Capone got married, right? I know. His sweetheart lived like three blocks away from me. It's like really fun. So one day I was like curious and doing all of this. <laughs> yeah, Al. <laughs> um, so I was doing uh, this research on him, just curious, because I don't know really anything about Al Capone and, you know, all that. And, and so I found out that it, like before 20, he moved around to like four different Gangs. I don't know if they call them that. Gangs, I think. Mobs. I don't know. Groups. Gangs. Okay. So he was with the Junior 40 Thieves and then with the Bowery Boys. He then joined the Brooklyn Rippers. I like that one. And then the powerful Five Points Gang. Okay. This is all before 20. So I don't really know if this is sideward-like mobility, but we can, we can assume that in kind of gang mentality or mob mentality, you're trying to get up somehow, so sometimes it steps sideways and sometimes it's up. But at the age of 20, he was then invited to come to Chicago to work under the great Johnny Torrio. That was my best, like, I got a cigar in my mouth and I don't really open it mouth. <laughs> Russell told me not to do that, I apologize. <laughs> He's like, don't, it's offensive, it's not going to end well. Okay, so he is working for Johnny Torrio. Johnny Torrio is then working for Kingpin, uh, Big Jim, okay? So they're kind of the who's who of Chicago. Well, Big Jim gets, you know, like they do in the mob, and then, you know, Torrio moves up, and now Capone moves up. Well, then a couple years later, Torrio gets... Bang, bang, shot seven times, um, survives it, <laughs> but then thinks it's time to retire. Can't say I disagree. <laughs> um, but then Al Capone at the age of 26 takes over and becomes like kingpin and one of the most then notorious mobsters of all time as we know. So take away the Tommy guns, the zoot suits and the overstuffed cigars and you have what's happening in Corinth, right? Um, to in a degree, um, but basically, the, the people in the church are trying to find whatever leaders they think are most promising in which they can, they can rise in social status um, and, and social climate, the charismatic smooth talkers. And there's a lot of sideward mobility and upward mobility. And Paul is kind of going, who is this guy and who is this guy? They are mere field workers, right, in a greater scheme. So, um, so this is what Paul has to say, right? In verse six, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose and each will be rewarded, rewarded according to his own labor. This is great because Paul is doing two things in essence. He is bringing value to those ministers in which people would be devaluing their efforts by inherently um, lifting and praising one leader above the other. So he's bringing value to those that have been disvalued. And at the same time, he's humbling those leaders in which they have been receiving glory that only God should be having, right? So he's leveling the playing field of all of these leaders to say, no, 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 he just plants. He just waters, Right? and together they are one. Not to say that they're one person, but they have one sole purpose together. So Paul planted, but if Apollos didn't come to water, there would be no sustenance for that plant to really take root and grow up, right? But adversely, if Apollos came to water and there was no seed planted, he could water the ground till the cows come home, but nothing would grow up, okay? So there would there'd be nothing there rooted to get started to grow. So he is saying, guys, these are, these are equal ministers among us and we have a tendency to value things in which in our eyes we we deem as more important and of greater value we do this all the time in the church there are many leaders you guys in Hope Brooklyn so many and and it doesn't it's not just the people that have a staff title or are on the web page i look around and so many of you are leaders in such different capacities and we all have different very unique roles and we need one another in those roles Yes, they are different roles, right? But equally are needed to grow. We have one purpose together. We grow God's field together. But, but he is quick to say, he waters, he seeds, you have tasks, you are one purpose. But without God in this mix, nothing grows, right? And in, in the text, it says, um, That we are co-laborers, which I love the co-laborers part, but it it says we are co-laborers with God. And I think that in the original text, it doesn't quite get at what Paul is is going after because, yes, Paulos and and Paul are co-laborers together, but he goes on to say, um, but you are God's field. You are God's building. So there is a level of God is the ultimate authority, right? We work as co-laborers under God um, and with him and in essence too. And and I think maybe this example will help kind of paint the picture, right? So there is a father who um, is a carpenter, a wonderful skilled carpenter. And he has two daughters because women like to work with wood, I think. I love it. I have four daughters in my family, you guys. There's no boys, so my dad's like, I'm gonna teach you to build stuff. And so I'd like to say actually my marriage, usually like Russell likes to come to me for building advice and it makes me really happy. I come to him with all my theological questions. So we're very like equal in that way. Um, but a, a carpenter has two daughters, okay? And he says, I wanna build a table and I want you to work with me in this, okay? So one daughter he assigns, I want you to make the legs of this table, okay? So she goes out and finds fine wood, she shapes it, she sands it, she, she paints it and she has these four gorgeous legs. And to the other daughter he says, I want you to make a tabletop. So she goes out and gets mahogany, I don't know, great wood and, and carves it and cr- creates all these intricate designs and stains it and seals it. But it is the father who takes these beautiful parts and he actually creates something with it. He creates a table. Um, But he doesn't stop there. He also provides the provision, the food, the sustenance. And then he invites the family and the neighbors and the community and he creates a banquet feast. So the two daughters, one had four sticks And the other daughter had a beautiful slab of wood, and the father took these things that were equally needed. You can't have a table without legs, and without a top, they're just pieces of wood, but he created something beautiful with them. And could the father have done it by himself? Yeah, he's a skilled, skilled carpenter. But he wanted to work with his daughters. He wanted to share in this work together and there is joy and I'm sure laughter in the woodworking shop, right? And music blaring and dancing happening. He wants to do this work with us, but make no mistake, it is God who's making the growth happen. We get to play a part in that and it's a beautiful part. Um, But it is God's field. I think important part so I mean as we can hear the implications as people uh, a part of this community as just kind of fellow community members but I think it's also important to talk to leaders directly in here of that this passage brings a lot of hope to me um, especially being pretty new to ministry um, that a I think it protects against division within the church that stems from our pride right that we have a tendency to say ah but The seed is the most important part. You know, I planted that. And so, you know, um, it protects us thinking that our role is more important because there is no role outside of our purpose together, right? We just talked about. So it protects against our pride as leaders. And then the other part, which I think is really important, you guys, is it protects against the division of us being discouraged in the work, okay? I grew up a PK, a pastor's kid, and my father actually left pastoring and had a really painful experience in the church um, where his heart was extremely discouraged and 30 years later, it still affects him today. Um, and so I've seen pain and discouragement, but also um, even in the day-to-day more minuscule things, it's hard sometimes when we're maybe the planters in this scenario, right? That we don't get to see all the growth and you kind of sit back and go, man, am I even doing anything? Like. Is this making an impact for Hope Brooklyn? Is this making an impact in in Brooklyn or in New York City or in my neighborhood? Our work is important, you guys, and I think that there's great hope to know that we are part of a masterpiece that goes far beyond what we may ever get to experience in it, but we are still vital and important and God is inviting us into that work with him. Um, So be encouraged by that. And the third thing that this then all does is it puts the, the glory, it puts the weight and it puts the burden back on God where it always should have been. That is not for us to take on. We don't take on the glory in that. we share in God's glory because He' invited into it. Uh, he has invited us into it with him. But we don't take on the burden of growing the community. That's God's work. The next part is uh, in verse nine, Paul moves on to his second metaphor. He's dealing with a lot of metaphors today. So it's basically like three metaphors that we're going through, okay? So the second metaphor, he says in verse nine, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. Okay, so coffee first. The first thing to note here in this is that there is one foundation, right? He says that Christ, and more importantly, Christ crucified is the only foundation guys of the church of God today. There can be no other, we cannot be rooted or founded on any wisdoms of the day or any trends or fads within the church over the last 2000 years, the foundation of the church is a Christ and a Christ that was crucified. And the reason that this is important, especially as Paul's writing this to the Corinthian church, guys, cause, is because a Christ that is crucified is scandalous. It is beyond scandalous. And Russ talked about this um, a lot, I think, last week. And that, you know, as you're, you're describing, the Corinthians are describing the church as somebody of like, you know, we do good, we take in the orphans, we take in the widows. And people are like, yeah, yeah, I love that, I love that, yeah. And then our leader, he was accused of really terrible, horrific things. And then all of his friends left him. And then he was um, stripped down, beaten, um, brutally crucified, and buried. That's who we worship. <laughs> people are like, nah, I'm out. That's good. <laughs> I draw the line there. Um, it is scandalous. But that is what Paul is saying, that this, can, this is the only foundation, is that we are building this church upon the foundation that, that Jesus is a crucified Jesus. Um, and then the next part he addresses is the fact that the church will have many builders, right? He said, I'm the one that came and planted, but Apollos is building and there'll be more builders to come. Um, and so what, what he is saying here is basically he's, um, the idea of building excludes any sort of individual, individuality, okay, that can arise from these different leaders that are popping up and building upon this foundation the building must hold together with mutual dependency and integration, um, or else the structure becomes faulty. And on that final day that we were, we were gonna read about and, and any, any sort of earthquake comes, we'll say, um, it'll be disastrous, right guys? So if the foundation, let's think of an earthquake metaphor. If we have a foundation, that is weak, so in Paul's eyes, it would be anything that's not Christ crucified and you build upon it, an earthquake comes and that foundation shakes and it can go down, right? But, but then as you build up, even if you have a strong foundation that was planted, the next builder that comes, if they're building on materials that can't stand um, disastrous times, the test of time, then it takes down everything with it And it's the same as it goes, even if it's a top layer of like, oh, we had a really great church. It was built upon integrity that last period. You know, it can destroy a church, you guys. And we've seen it. We probably have all seen it um, of when we, when the church starts being built on faulty material. um, When sin starts seeping in and forming the building of the church, it can take the whole thing down. And it's... Uh, disastrous and and so disheartening because there's so much good labor that goes in. Um, But he's he's talking about the structure has to be built upon a firm foundation and the builders that come after, it's gotta be built with integrity. So the next part he talks about is the um, types of materials that we build with, okay? So verse 12, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder receives a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be, uh, but yet will be saved, even though as one escaping through the flames. So the significance of the six uh, materials that he lists, really you just need to know that the first three are uh, uh, non-flammable, okay? They're good, solid uh, materials that'll stand the test of time. And the last three are things that are combustible. Kind of like the, you know, the wolf, the big bad wolf and the three little pigs, okay? These are things that can then stand up. So what he's saying here is, are you building with material, you guys, that are gonna have lasting impacts far beyond what you do with it? You may be leaders in this church in this community, in your larger community, and you, you build for a time and then you leave? Are the materials in which you are building with, are they having lasting effects? Are you doing things that is kingdom work and, and, and putting the kingdom forward? Are the things that you're doing really quite meaningless And in, in a season or years or at the end times, they're just going to burn up? What are you doing with your gifts, with your impact, with your lives that will echo that will build the kingdom of God? Are you building with strong materials or are you building with things that they may work for a time, but they won't last? Um, This next part of this text starts dealing with words that we don't really like in the church. They're kind of yucky words, and that is of reward and loss um, and suffering. We're kind of like, no, 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 no. My God is benevolent and good and forgiving and great. And, you know, there is no like reward or, you know, loss or, you know, like he is, you know, inviting and we're all kind of, you know, playing field, right? We're all planters. And guys, we can't get away from the fact that the text does say that there will be a day of judgment and that there will be fire and that there will be reward and that there will be, there will be loss and that there will be suffering. However, The text isn't, um, uh, well, it isn't explicit in what that looks like and more of that reward or that um, final day when it comes. It's not talking about more details of that. So I'm not going to speculate on that because I feel like that would be unwise. However, I do want to put forth kind of a radical thought to you guys that yes, I think that in, in this text that Paul is talking about, we do know that he is talking about an end day through the type of language that he's using, the day, which has, he's citing other scripture, fire, which has been used throughout scripture to um, talk about the final judgment day. However, I want to say that perhaps, yes, he's talking about a judgment or, or rewards and suffering and loss that are to come, but he's also talking about rewards that can be had and shared with God now. And... This is what I mean by that. So um, we see in in different, it's in throughout the Gospels. I just chose Luke because I thought it said it well. In Luke 17, Jesus, Jesus says, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, Here it is, or There it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. We know throughout other scriptures, you guys, that the kingdom of God, yes, it is to come, but it is here now as well. It is not in its fullness now, but we get a glimpse of the kingdom here now, okay? So so that being the case, I think that when we participate in the building of God's kingdom and we do it with, with our lives, our whole selves, and we're doing it with lasting material um, we get to join with God in this work and we get to see his handprint throughout everything, right? We get to see Jesus in um, our community, in nature, in the church, um, in everyday life. And I don't know what could be a better reward than actually getting to do work face-to-face with our God. And I, I wanna tell a story. So um, a few years Quite a few years back, I was going through a really dark season. I was extremely depressed and very lonely. Um, I had gone through a really um, terrible breakup, and I just, my heart was really hurting. And I had previously gone through a season that I was angry at God. I had gone through a season of dryness and a desert period where I felt God had really forsaken me. And so I kind of said, well, you're going to forsake me, then I'm going to forsake you too. Like, I don't want to go to church. I'm going to stop praying. Like, if you're not going to show up, I'm not going to show up either. Um, But I had kind of walked through that season and at the end of this breakup, I was like, okay, Lord, I give up. Like, <laughs> I want you, I need you. And I felt so strongly during that time that he was like, Anna, I just need you to be, be with me, be silent with me. And so the wisdom of the world would have said like, get back out there, like start dating again, you know, like numb it, like let's go drinking, let's have fun, let's go partying. And, um, you know, there's lots of TV shows you can totally binge watch so you don't have to be like alone in your thoughts or good podcasts or music. And none of these things can necessarily be bad on their own. However, I knew that I was being called into this period of just like silence with the Lord, which was new to me. And so I stopped watching TV, stopped listening to the radio, and I I hung out with friends for sure, but not in a way that I felt like, oh, I need to run from these icky feelings that I feel inside. So like, who's around? Like, I need to hang out with you. Um, I spent a lot of nights alone, weeping, like reading scripture and getting through one verse and being like, oh my gosh, it's talking about me. And like, I was a mess. Um, But basically it was months of this. I think maybe I was like four months in to just really intensive prayer with the Lord and communing. And guys, my heart was still like hurting. I still was sad. I was still uh, depressed, but he was definitely working in me. And I was driving down the street in Portland, Oregon, Stark Street to be exact, I remember. And my 240 red Volvo, I love that car so much. It's a classic, right? I know some of you are like, yeah, I heard clicks. Um, Great car. So I'm driving down the road and I wasn't listening to the radio. And I think I was praying to God, but we weren't, Really, I wasn't talking about anything specific in you guys. I started laughing hysterically at nothing. I looked crazy. Like so crazy. Like people pulled up next to me and I'm like, oh, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, my gosh. I was laughing and um a lot of people in the charismatic church call it holy laughter. I was a Baptist kid, so I get a little like, around my like charismatic things. I'm like, that's crazy, it makes me uncomfortable. But I don't know how to like, describe it in any other way, you guys. I was overcome by holy laughter that wasn't from anything that could have been explained. I was with God in my car and he came so close that I was overwhelmed with unbridled joy and I can't explain it to you and trust me, I'm not the type to like, hype things like that up. I, like, I was overcome by the spirit of God and I truly believe that I was in a season of my life that I wanted to put in the really tough work in my soul of saying, Lord, my heart feels broken, but I want it to be yours and I want it to be restored and so like, let's work on this together and I got to experience unbridled joy And I have never tasted a reward so great than being that close to my savior, you guys. And so I want to contend that, yes, I think that there are rewards and there are suffering that are to come based on the things that we do today. But I think that we can be experiencing those things now. Holy cow. (laughs) Amen, yes. (laughs) I think we can be experiencing those things now, you guys. We can experience unbridled joy with our savior and that is an amazing reward. Um, And I think that we can feel that absence too. And that is enough suffering and loss for me. I have been through those seasons. Um, And so I don't think that sometimes we have this big buildup of like, Reward and jewels and crowns and you know suffering and loss and fire and, and you know gnashing of teeth, and I'm not That's a sermon for another day. But I think it can be as simple as uncontrollable laughter in your car with your Jesus. <laughs> Got to find out if I flipped the wrong page. Hold on just a sec. Everybody take a coffee break. <laughs> uh) The last part of this metaphor before we move on that is really important to know um, is that the work that we're doing, the building that we're doing, isn't salvation gaining or salvation losing work, you guys. And that's really important because some of you are like listening to this and you think like, this kind of goes against, you know, his words in Ephesians, right? In Ephesians two, eight through nine, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and it is not for of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So we're not talking that the building that you're doing will get you salvation or it'll lose you salvation. You are God's, he has saved you, that is secure, but there are rewards, there are loss, okay? But I don't want that to get confused, um, as in you are earning your salvation in any way. That is not what Paul is saying. Okay, the third metaphor that Paul uses then is the temple. In verse 16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. Um, A couple of really things to know is that when we're reading the scripture, when it's saying you are God's temple, the Greek for this is plural. So it's not you, I, Anna, I'm God's temple in this context. You, the church, are God's temple. Okay, so make sure we are reading it as such. Um, So what does that mean that the spirit of God then dwells in this place? Like we are the temple of God. Hope Brooklyn is the temple of God. And if you've grown up in the church, that might not seem that radical because this may be more of a familiar concept to you throughout the different churches that you've been to. But you have to understand that during the time that Paul is writing this, the temple in Jerusalem, um, understood to be the sacred holy place of the living God, is still standing. We know that it's going to be torn down soon, but at this time, it's still standing. So for any Jew reading this, they're saying, what well, when Paul, Um, It's in Jerusalem, actually. Like, we have to travel there. We have to make a pilgrimage to go to God. And and Paul's saying, no, actually, the spirit of God, the temple of God is you, Corinth. You are the spirit place and the dwelling. And Corinth right now is a relatively new church, and it's made up of mostly Gentiles. So this is shock value. It's radical what he's saying. So what does that look like for us that... This school, we don't have beautiful um, stained glass windows that you know shine the light and um, beautiful purple tapestries. We're in a squeaky chair auditorium, um, but he says that the spirit of God dwells in this place and that this place is sacred and that we are the temple. So, what would that look like for us to be that? Right, For us to be a warm place that says all are welcome in because God dwells here and I want you to meet my God. That we would have no bars on the doors, that we would be a place that encourages people to come in, that we love upon them when they're here, that the things that we utter in this place are honoring and glorifying to God. I mean, the next part he talks about, he talks about people that would come to try to destroy this place. The things that he's saying are pretty intense, guys. You destroy it, I destroy you. I don't want to mess with that. <laughs> Let us not. Let us not be a church that would start to divide ourselves with, with leaders or jockeying or um, with wicked tongues. <clears throat> Let us treat this place, PS 261, as God's temple, a beautiful place where we are to love one another, where we are to worship our God and where we are not to bring malice and deceit and... Anything that would try to destroy this place. And the next part, wha, oh, I'm sorry, Nathan, <laughs> I spilled some coffee. <laughs> and the next part is he's getting into more of the summation of the passage. We've just gone through three uh, metaphors. He's talking about fields, planting in the fields. He's talking about uh, building. And when he was talking about the temple. So in this next part, Paul is restating what, has been, what he's been warning many times, right, in previous texts. He is warning against the wisdom of the world. In verse 18, we read, do not deceive yourselves. If any of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. When I read this, it sounded an awful lot like another really popular text that you guys might be familiar with, right? Matthew 16, 25. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Paul's doing a very similar thing that Jesus did. And this he's he's basically saying, What you think you know, you do not know, right? Because Jesus is saying, Hey, you think you're alive? Die, and I'll show you what life really is. <laughs> yeah. Like that's, that was the wisdom of our Jesus. And Paul is doing the same thing now. You think you're wise because you have all these worldly wisdoms. That's not wisdom, that is foolishness. Become a fool so that you can actually see the wisdom of God, which looks completely different um, than the ways in which you've known it to be. And then we hit verse 21. And guys, this is, Um, This is where we get the sweet one-liner. We love one-liners, right, in the church? Like, it's so tweetable or, like, memeable. Have you guys ever Googled Bible memes? (laughs) I did. This is, okay. This has nothing to do with this sermon. It's just hilarious. I want to show you some that I found because I did this. That is so true, you guys. Have you not felt the guilt of, like, if I don't share this, then they'll think that I don't love them. I never share it. I still love you. I just never get on my Facebook. Okay, the next one. Can I get (laughs) it? Amen. Right? It's kind of (laughs) true. Judith, that goes for you. Okay, I think I have... This is literally a picture of me as a child. Like, that is my picture. How did that get out? You guys, I hope that your faces look like that when you're going up to brunch. <laughs> like, on this, like, "Goo, let me go. Okay, I think there's one more. This is my favorite. <laughs> right? That face. It's Perfect. Oh my gosh, Russ and I were dying. We were dying. We are like looking at the other ones, we're like, no, no, go back to that one. Go back to that one. It's too good. Okay. Again, sorry, tangent has nothing to do with what I'm about to say. (laughs) Um, Verse 21. (laughs) So then, no more boasting about men. All things are yours. Um, So... It kind of seems like in this, he's actually making a concession to the Corinthian uh, church, the Corinthian people, because there's a popular belief, um, a philosophy, uh, a Greco-Roman philosophy, especially among like the Stoics um, at that time, that said, a wise man possesses all things. So Uh, Russ touched on this um, last week about he's kind of almost goading them, right? Uh, Stop boasting to men, you have all things. And they're like, yes, yes, we're wise. We have all things, yes. Uh, But then, you know, he continues, and he kind of drops the mic on them as he goes forth, um, that he says, yes, you have all things. You have life. You have death. Apollo, Cephas, you have them too. Like, don't claim to them. Like, all is yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is of God. And again, remember, these aren't just words in this way. They're saying, hey, all things are yours, but remember, all these things also belong to that crucified Christ, the one that makes no sense to your wisdom of the day. All belong to him, and we, we then belong to God, the Father. Um, I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up as I kind of try to paint a picture of maybe what this looks like, right? Of there's, there's squabbling and they're picking the wisdom of the day and different leaders and saying, no, I'm, I'm this guy's or no, I'm this guy's. And it's as if there's these two patrons that are arguing, right? And they're like, no, 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 no I have the best patron. Do you know who mine is? He's Da Vinci. You ever seen the Mona Lisa? It's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. And the other one goes, ugh, are you kidding? Have you ever seen the Sistine Chapel? My guy's Michelangelo, you don't even know. And God humbly comes in and says, hi, yeah, uh uh-huh. They are beautiful pieces of work, right? I created these guys and these guys put forth beautiful work and effort, but you claim to both of them, however, I claim you as my own and with me, yeah, you get the Sistine Chapel, you get the Mona Lisa, but you also get the Grand Canyon and you get the Great Barrier Reef. You get Mount Everest and you get Victoria Falls. Why would we limit the amount of resources that God wants to give to us, you guys, and that comes through all of these leaders, right? And even our church, like I, I, just, I pray that we're never a church that thinks that we are doing God's work in this city, that we would say, oh no, I'm, a, I'm of Hope Brooklyn, as if to say, I'm not of Redeemer, or I'm, I'm not of C3, or I'm not of Hillsong. We are all doing God's work, you guys. And the work that we're doing may look different but we are all laborers in the field with him. And when we limit ourselves in these ways, we limit the amount of resources God has wanted to share with us. I get to say, I share in the work of Redeemer. I share in the work of Hillsong. I share in the work of Hope Brooklyn. You know, Russ mentioned this last week, but I pray you guys that it would never leave your lips when people ask you, what church do you go to? That you'd say, I go to Russell Joyce's church. I mean, if you're gonna say anything, say I go to Anna Joyce's church. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Please don't ever say that. (laughs) But I hope that you would say, I go to a church that is broken, that is filled with really hurting people. We have scars and we have wounds and we have been redeemed by Jesus and He is shaping us into something new and different. And I invite you into that with us. When we say, I am of this or I am this or you know, we see what's happening in the world that's sexy and we think, oh, like even in church pads, right? Like we are limiting the fact that we get a part, be a part of the entire process of this, right? Like we can be possessive over um, this leader or this church or this, I don't even know philosophy that we're creating here or we think we're creating. But the fact is you guys, that God is inviting us to be a part of all of it. He says, all is yours, all of it. Come join in the work with me, work the fields build the buildings. Make sure, though, that you know it is my field and I am the foundation. But build with me. The father invites his children. My daughters, build with me. We can sit here and we can squabble about whose finger painting is better. Or we can say, I claim nothing because God claims me and thus I get to see my fingerprints all over his masterpiece because I'm in it with him. So let's stop squabbling over our pretty fridge art and say, hey, I'm a part of the God that created the Grand Canyons and the Great Barrier Reef. You wanna go swimming with me? Let's pray. Lord God, I am so acutely aware that I commit all of these sins against you, God, that I get consumed with the wisdom of the world and growing a field in which I think I need the glory. Lord, forgive me. The work is yours. The glory and the burden are yours and I am free then to work that field with you. We are free to take part in the masterpiece in the labor, in the beautiful labor of growing your kingdom here. And when we get to join in that with you, we get to experience unbridled joy with you, Lord. And that is my prayer for everybody in this room, that they would seek to do work, that they could see the face of God, that they could experience reward here now as we build for a reward of eternity with you later. Let us not sit back and wait thinking that our actions here have no lasting consequences. They do. Let us be a people that humble ourselves to know we are co-laborers together, not one above, not one below. And we work for the ultimate artist, creator of the whole universe. So why would we squabble over our finger paintings, God. You are good, God. You are good. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's sermon. To find out more about the mission and ministry of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday worship and brunch, to subscribe to our other podcasts and lots more, Visit us online at www.hopebrooklyn.org.